Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers, leaders, and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master. Listen and get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, and this is where product leaders and managers become product masters, gaining practical knowledge, influence, and confidence so you'll create products customers love. And speaking of becoming a product master, it's a new year, and this podcast is getting a new name. In a few weeks, the name will change to Product Masters Now. You don't need to do anything to keep listening, but I want you to know the name change is coming. The Everyday Innovator will be renamed to Product Masters Now. In this episode, we're talking about chief product officers, CPOs. They have many responsibilities, such as mentoring product managers, defining product strategy, leveraging cross-functional resources, developing products to meet an expected schedule, often an aggressive schedule, and much more. They use tools to help them with these responsibilities. Joining us for this episode is a CPO who shares some of the tools he uses, including roadmaps, metrics, and OKRs. He knows a lot about tools as he is the CPO for BetterWorks, a provider of enterprise OKR and performance management software. His name is Anoop Yanamandra. And remember, if you hear anything you want to go back to, we'll take detailed notes for you. We also provide a one-page action guide that you can download to help you and maybe the group you're with take action on these concepts that we're talking about. You'll find all that at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 316. Now, let's talk with Anoop. Anoop, thank you so much for joining the Everyday Innovators. Thank you, Chad. Great to be here. So you are a chief product officer. Tell us what that's like. What are your responsibilities as a CPO? Yeah, CPO, as as you probably will read on the on the web and get a lot of information on, is is primarily what people think of it as is defining the product strategy for the company. And also that includes defining the roadmaps, defining a sustainable product strategy that the company can rely on for years. And increasingly, there's a couple of other aspects to the role as well. One is uh, really thinking about the usability. The UX strategy is a very big piece of it. You know, consumerization of enterprise applications is a big piece of it. And, and the third piece that's becoming extremely important for CPOs as well as product managers is this uh, ability to dig into data. Uh, consumer software companies have done an excellent job at that. My career has been primarily in the enterprise uh, software space, and that also now requires the ability to look into a lot of the data and make decisions based on the data, not just purely based on intuition and gut feel. So that's a big piece of it. Uh, That is just from a product standpoint, but I do want to add a couple of other things that I actually uh, do within my company, and I think every CPO needs to do these days. One is really help the company with hiring great people across the company, not just you know, being able to fill your product team with the right people for the right role and, and have that diversity on the team, but also help the rest of the company hire great people through your good product vision, explain to people why this company is going to win through its product. That's a big piece of it. And another one that I, I really think is a must-have for every CPO is product advocacy, both internally as well as externally, just really making sure that uh, the world knows about your product, your philosophy, and why this is a new way versus maybe a traditional way that 
probably use some of these products as well. So those those are some things I think about and help my company with uh, quite a bit as well, Chad. Okay. I like that you're also involved in hiring across the company. So you, you bring that product perspective then to new hires and helping them understand what kind of products the organization creates. Yeah. You know, when people are joining a company, they're not just thinking about, hey, you know, does this company have a good team in the area I'm working in? Let's take the example of a sales or a marketing person. They actually want to sell great products. They, they they just don't want to be good at what they do, but they also know that mm-hmm. the product has to be good as well for them to be successful. It's a team effort. And and it's not just during hiring, but even post that, I regularly meet my marketing folks, sales folks, leaders in those teams and have one-on-ones at least once a month to make sure that they're constantly getting this information so that they can be successful in their role. And this this goes to the internal product advocacy piece I touched on. Yeah, that's really good because it is such a cross-functional role and we have dependencies on the other functions. And being involved from the beginning of how those, you know, who gets hired and introducing them to the product perspective, you're already building rapport from the very beginning. See, that is very beneficial. Absolutely. Okay, you mentioned some tools along there like roadmaps. And as we were talking earlier, uh, a few came up. We talked about roadmaps, metrics, and OKRs. And there might be some others that come up in this discussion, but I thought those would be good ones for us to hear how you use those and how they help you in the work that you do. So how about we start with roadmaps? Yeah, roadmaps, you know, I'm I'm fairly traditional in that sense that I tend to use either PowerPoint or Google Slides for my roadmaps. But what I do, though, is, you know, I structure these roadmap decks very clearly. You know, we we just don't start with here are the features and here are the quarters, right? We actually start with, you know, here is the higher level goal we have as a company, you know, that we are trying to get to. Here is our new way. Here is our philosophy. Then we take it down to themes. And we say, what are the big themes, especially as you start to become a suite as opposed to one product company? It's important to have a theme that goes across your suite and you identify two or three themes that you're trying to build through the product or portfolio. And it's important to communicate that well, both again, internally and externally as well. And then comes individual product areas. And what I like to do in the individual product areas or in the roadmap is just go about two or three big things you're trying to do, right? And that, that's the high level, three or four slides roadmap deck. And then what I like to do is to give a little bit more for each of our sales folks or customers to understand what does this look like beyond just that one line item. We go beyond that and give two or three screenshots. And I have a nice structure and template that I use one screenshot. What is the business problem? What is the solution? And what is the benefit? And that's a template that I give to all my product managers and everybody then develops, you know, within the suite, if there are four different products or product lines, they all are extremely consistent in this. But I set the, the philosophy and the themes and everybody is well aligned on that. Then the individual product managers basically build out their things. I have not, you know, dabbled with maybe using some of the tools out there. I know there are road mapping tools like AHA and so on. I've, I've experimented with them a bit, but I found, given that I've, I've developed a procedure on how to use roadmap decks, you know, in the last 20 years that I've been a product manager and in this function, 
I've still stuck to uh, my, my traditional template models there. Yeah, and the lower level of that is highlighting the business problem, the solution, and the benefit. I think that's a nice, clear framework that, that relates to the problem the customer's having, how we're addressing it, and not focusing on the features as much as the benefits that we're creating for the customer. Absolutely, uh, Chad. You know, one other thing I would say on the roadmaps, just getting into a bit more detail on how to think about roadmaps. Mm-hmm. When you're launching a new product, the roadmap is going to be slightly different from when a product has already been in the market quite a bit, right? So in the in the first case, I think it's all going to be about what is the problem you're trying to solve? What is the persona that's going to benefit from this? What's the core of the problem? And you're trying to solve that first. So it's important that you explain that piece of it when you're defining roadmap for a new product. But let's say a product has already been in the market for, say, you know, five or six years, you have to think about it slightly differently. Now you have different audience when you're communicating roadmaps. It becomes about what is your target audience? For your internal audience, you need to be thinking about really four different types of problems. One is how do I generate new sales? What am I giving for the sales folks? Then the second piece of it is, how am I helping with the renewals? Especially if you're in the SaaS space, you got to be thinking about that. So I put small badges on each of these features that basically says, look, this is going to help with sales. Uh, This is also going to help with renewals. And then there are a couple of other areas to that we think about. One is the technology infrastructure that you need to be thinking about. Because interesting thing about software is every four or five years, either the underlying technologies or the UI frameworks, they're all changing every four or five years. User behavior is changing as well. So you need to think about that piece. And the third, or or sorry, now coming to the fourth piece is really thinking about your existing customers logging support tickets. You want to pay attention to that as well. So I generally, you know, for existing products, I pay a lot more attention in putting these badges and clearly saying, this is why we're doing this. This is the internal audience that's going to benefit from this. You've got to go and evangelize and pitch this to your target audience, right? For example, if you are thinking about renewals and you're a CSM, you really want to go and tell your customers, hey, you know, my product team is thinking about why you bought this product and why you're paying subscription on a regular basis. Here is something that's coming out next quarter or two quarters out. We're solving this problem specifically for a existing customers who have trusted us to provide this type of innovation for you. So so that's another thing I do for existing products, you know, putting those badges on each of the slides too, or each of the features to make that, you know, super clear for wh- why we're doing this, right? So I think that's something I'm, I'm very clear about to my product managers that you have to clearly lay out why are you building this? Who would benefit from this? It's important, again, for both internal and external audiences. I, I like the badges idea, right? So you're, you're clearly communicating why uh, this product, this uh, new capability needs to be created and how it's going to help us as an organization, how it's going to help the customer. When we share this information, a lot of times those specific audiences tend to come back and say, hey, I want to learn more about this. When I talk about this, I want to be extremely intelligent you know, when I'm presenting this story to my customers. And that's where we get a lot of success. We have a very, very seasoned CSM team, and we tend to use them in design discussions as well. You know, for the features that we're specifically building for our existing customers, 
We've set up monthly design forums with our CSMs where we go in and say, hey, we presented to you for this quarter. These four features are specifically being built for existing customers to extend a particular capability. It could be something like we have a transactional capability, but we have not had reporting capability for that. And we know that customers wants to purchase and they've started to use the product a lot. They need a reporting capability on top of it. Now, once we communicate that and we show them an initial design for the report, the CSMs often say, oh, you know, I've got an idea based on my discussion with this customer. They want this extra couple of columns. Or I have a customer who really wants to learn more about this and provide some feedback. They've asked for this for a long time. That's an opportunity for us to engage with the customer and get that input into the process and get the design right. Especially if you're building something specifically for existing customers, you want to make sure that those customers actually provide input to you. If you just build it in vacuum, you've lost an opportunity to get it right the first time. So I think it's important to communicate upfront for which audience we're building those features. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and get them involved and even co-develop with them. Absolutely. I'm interrupting the interview to share something really important. We'll get back to the discussion in just a minute, but I want you to know about an extraordinary system called the Rapid Product Mastery, or RPM Experience. In just nine weeks, you can have a higher-performing product team, meeting only 75 minutes a week with no travel required. One product leader, after trying all the typical training workshops, turned to the RPM experience to get real change for his team. He said that this is the only training that provides an integrated product management perspective. It did exactly what I needed it to do. If you have a group of 5 to 14 product professionals, learn how you too can have a high-performing team in just 9 weeks, 75 minutes a week, without travel. This is the system created by Chad, based on his experience working as a product leader, coaching several organizations, and deeply studying innovation during his PhD work. Get the guide for yourself at theeverydayinnovator.com slash RPM. For roadmaps, do you have roadmaps at different levels? Like you talked infrastructure, technology infrastructure. Do you just tend to have the roadmap that you talked about? You know, what's the two or three big things that we're trying to do coming up? Or do you also use different level roadmaps for like, you know, a platform or technology infrastructure roadmap that is going to then enable some products in the future? Yeah, absolutely. So so I generally, as a CPO, like to have one roadmap slide, which actually gives that higher level picture. And what I mm-hmm. tend to often do is, you know, in a classic sense, you know, either break it down by quarter or, you know, every two quarters and get it up to maybe 12 to 18 month roadmap. And then what I do is I have swim lanes for each product area. And I generally leave out the bottom part of the slide specifically for platform. And one of the things that every product manager should know is a lot of times, especially in the enterprise software space, you have to have a strong platform to be able to have a successful longer term product strategy. If you start with just three or four features you're building, you're going to run out of steam after you know, a few quarters. You always need that foundation to be able to build great product. In my own space, human capital management applications, I've clearly seen that the companies that have built good platform up front or have thought about it consistently 
have been the ones that have been successful. A good example would be my former company, Success Factors, which now has you know seven to eight thousand customers and Workday, another competitor of mine currently, as well as in my previous role, they have done a fabulous job on the part on the platform side of things. So I I definitely call out each of the areas and really highlight two or three things for each quarter that we're doing. But it's a good question, Chad, what you asked me. And then each of the leads or directives for each of the product lines will then go in and develop a deeper roadmap, right? They, they will take that and they'll give those high-level two or three items for the overall product roadmap deck, but they will have their own decks that will go into a lot more detail, right? Okay. You know, some things that may not make to this higher-level team or covered, I tend to have four or five page product uh, roadmap deck, whereas each of the directors has about 15 page detailed roadmap deck for each of their area. And one thing that we do well in this row in, in my current company, Chad, is that we are actually very transparent. We don't hold back on our roadmap. So we place all of them on a confluence page and it's available to everybody within the company. And what we clearly say is it's the four-page slide deck that you can share with your customers, right? Mm-hmm. It's the detailed one that you need to get a permission to be able to share it with the customer because there's a lot more detail. And we all know once you put dates and details, there's always a possibility that you're going to slip. So it's extremely important to have those checks and balances and disclaimers in place for the more detailed product roadmap deck. So, you know, we tend to share that higher level information with the customers that makes sense yeah the, the higher level the setting general direction and not the details that commit you to dates because things change and we're learning all the time so absolutely good information on how you use roadmaps to help keep everyone headed the same direction what about metrics what metrics do you find that you keep track of which ones are useful i i i'm big on essentially two metrics that i think about a lot and then there is a third one we'll, we'll get to all three First one that I care a lot about is adoption. That's what I'm asking my product managers. We are building great products so millions of people use it, or we help people with these products. If nobody's going to use it, or we, we don't know who is going to use it, then what's the point of building all of this? So I, I coach my product managers to think about as they're building a feature or a new product, I ask them clearly, hey, do you have in mind at least four or five customers who would use this right away, right? And and I will say, can you make sure that when this product is coming out, those four or five customers are absolutely going to pick it up in the first phase of this? When you release it as MVP, will they pick it up or not? I, I That's my first gate, right? And so adoption is very big for me. And I ask them, you need to have at the time when you release it out, say a month or two out, this product should be used by at least 10% of the existing customer base. If that is not going to be the case, we got to take a step back and think about it. So that's really one. And the second, or, or along with adoption that I, I ask all my product managers to do is every product and every feature, every button should be instrumented. We need to know what pages are being used within the page, what buttons are being clicked, what is that click path? Just like an e-commerce company does, understand you know who is abandoning the shopping cart, what sort of products are being clicked on, 
we need to understand everything. If people are not using certain piece of functionality that we're building, why are they not using it? So we can actually go in and ask, hey, you seem to be using that particular feature, but we put a lot of time into this other feature, but nobody's even touching it. Why? You know, maybe there is some usability issue. Maybe they're not clear what the next action is. Maybe they're not clear what it means to them by taking that action. Is there some risk to, to them or their career, right? So things like that, you know, I make sure absolutely that each and every page is instrumented. That's actually, Chad, one of the things that I love in this uh, new type of product management that we're doing these days. It's very data-centric, mm-hmm. collecting a lot of data. It's not just going through the process and just for the sake of process building screens, but it's actually making users' lives better. And if you want to, know, if you want to do that, you have to instrument your pages. So that's all about adoption. The second piece I'm really focused on is NPS, satisfaction. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think of two areas in that. One is we tend to ask external agencies to go and run a survey with project sponsors who purchase our product, right? That is typically just one or two people who have actually signed on the check to purchase our solution. They go in and tell us how satisfied are they, right? You know, we give them four or five questions and there's some rating questions and qualitative questions as well. And our CSM team runs that and we, we monitor that and we get that information every quarter. But the thing that I'm more excited about, the second piece of it that I love everybody looking into is we actually put on each of our pages, just like mobile applications are doing, rate our application, right? We ask people to rate their experience. The end users of the application to rate the experience on a given page or with the application. And we get every day at least 100 responses. And, you know, what the users tell us is, you know, what they like about it, what they don't like about it. When there is a navigation complexity, you know, they have to have a lot of clicks to it. They just give us specific, specific information that is that is really useful in building the right product. And we get at least every day, like I said, 100 of these, and we connect this to a Slack channel. So the entire company sees this, and the Slack channel is called Product Sat, right? Sometimes, actually, it is pretty pretty tough on the product manager. What if you release the feature and you took a lot of risk and it hasn't come off well and users are beating, beating you up on that? And, and you know, you, you thought it was a great feature. You released it. And once the users start to give you rating and they're actually saying this is really bad, you know, this is broken, how do you deal with it? And I think the good product managers that I see don't actually shy away from that. They say, look, you know, I'm, I'm taking a chance to build this. I want that feedback from the end users. And this is often a challenge in the enterprise space, right? Because you, you, you have this long running process, your buyers want all of the process. They want, they're guessing a lot of things, actually, that you're biased, right? But once the rubber hits the road, it's the users actually who are using it are giving you some really critical feedback. But it's important as a product manager to hear that feedback and take it to heart, work with your designers and engineering to fix those. But if you don't listen, you know what? You know, you, you can go and sing praises of your product for maybe a quarter or two or a year, but then, you know, the sales drop off and your product is dead. But if you are listening from day one to your end users, you have a great opportunity to fix the problems. And that's actually what we see. Mm-hmm. Every day we get these. 
And within a month or two, we actually know where the problem is. And we, we, we typically just go in and say, look, we've gotten this much of feedback from our top 10 customers, users of, and we, we've literally about, you know, 50 or 60 people who have highlighted this as a problem. We should put it in the front of the queue to fix it. Because a lot of times, you know, especially for enterprise product managers, the challenge is when sales is trying to sell large deals, you really have to listen to them because you, you want to build your business, right? But at the same time, you also have to put the interests of the customers who purchase the product in front as well. If you ignore this side of the coin, you're going to end up losing. If you chase all new features all the time and you don't make the existing features better, then you know, you're know you not going to have your NPS numbers will drop. You're not going to have uh, customers who are going to give you a reference. And ultimately, you're going to fail. So that's something I really love, Chad. Every day morning, literally, I, I open up my mobile phone and I actually look at that channel. You know, I see how many positive. Look at the Slack channel. Yeah, the Slack channel. And and that that actually lights up my day when I see two or three comments where people say, this is exactly the type of tool we needed and here is the benefit I'm getting, right? Mm -hmm. In fact, I actually write a weekly newsletter to my company as CPO and I share some of those responses, the good, bad, and ugly, right? I don't sugarcoat it and I say, this is an area we failed, right? This is an area that I'm getting really positive responses. In fact, we just uh, launched a feature recently and we put this process to test and we, we've had a new feature within two or three months, 300 customers, which is about 50% of our customer base, have started to use that capability, especially managers hmm. of these companies. And about half of them basically gave us a five-star rating. And they said, as a manager, I couldn't have asked for a better feature. Now, there were about 25 people who actually said, look, I got a lot of information missing in this. In your next version, you better put that information for me if I'm going to use this feature. So it was great. You know, we shared both those details and said, guys, we started off well, right? About one-fourth of the people who are using this uh, tool have given us five-star rating. About one-eighth of the people have said, we need to put more. So as a product management team, we're going to respond to this and do something better. Expect that by next quarter, we're going to fix this. So I love that. Let me get to the last item too that mm -hmm. I've generally used as a personal motivation is revenue, right? One of my ex-bosses used to really say, look, Anup, at the end of the day, people have to purchase your product or run your product, right? Great. Even if you have usage and all that, you know, I get it. But at the end of the day, you need to become a market leader and drive revenue. So that's something I want PMs to think about. Again, often it's not something you control as a PM. You're not selling the product. You're not able to really have a say in how much people pay for it. And there's a lot of discounting that goes on in enterprise software space. But I do think it's important for PMs to understand certain metrics. You know, typically what I like at companies is to say, for a product that's generating this much of new business and this much of renewal, this is the number of engineers we need to have. These are the KPIs we need to have to support this product. And, and, you know, every company has their own numbers, but, you know, you as a CPO within the first six months or one year, you need to have some kind of mental map on how you want to support your products. It shouldn't be just like, oh, we're building three features here, so let's put three engineers here, but we're not putting anything more here, so let's take everybody out. That's not how you should run or think about a team. 
So I think revenue, both new business as well as subscriptions is also a key indicator. Okay. So we have adoption, NPS, uh, customer satisfaction type information, and revenue. And you instrument adoption and NPS along the way. So it's built into the system. And then in just a few minutes left, tell us about how you use OKRs. Oh, this, this is a favorite topic of mine because BetterWorks, the company I work at, actually provides the OKR software. So, you know, there are lots of best practices uh, that we've learned from that. I would recommend everybody to go and um, purchase this book called Measure What Matters by our board member, John Doerr, who's mm-hmm. an early investor in Google. We take OKRs to heart and we use the OKRs in our planning process quite a bit. So that's, that, that's a big piece of it. So I would say, you know, one thing that everybody should think about is OKRs just in itself is, is just a methodology or a framework, right? But you need to know how to use it. Otherwise, you know, it's just a bunch of text that you write on a paper or a, or a tool like BetterWorks, but you actually need to know how to use it. So let me, let me walk you through a few approaches that we take at our company and, and say it as a best practice to our customers. First of all, we, from a product strategy standpoint, look to what the business strategy is. So as a core membership or leadership team, we sit together around the table, my CEO and leads of all the departments and say, on a quarterly basis, where do we want to take the company, right? You know, we agree on company level OKRs. And then my CEO looks to me and says, Anoop, you know, to support the business, what is your department going to do? And at a high level, we know, we think these are the things we want you to do. Then I go and sit with my department, my leaders, and say, folks, this is what we are thinking as a business strategy for this quarter or next quarter. What are the OKRs you know, that we can put in place? What features can we launch? What initiatives or, or thought leadership pieces can we develop in this area? What roadmap do we ha- need to have in place? And just start to discuss our own OKRs. Again, OKRs are objectives and key results, just to be clear. And then I, I build that consensus within my team. And, and, you know, for the people who are not on my leadership team, we call it actually bottom-up alignment. We, we don't force people as a top-down process. It's a collaborative exercise. We sit down as a department in all hands and discuss and say, hey, this is what the company leadership has said. This is what the product leadership thinks should be the OKRs for our team. Now let's discuss as a group what you folks feel like and how you can align from bottom up to these mm-hmm. goals, right? And then once those OKRs are in place, one thing that we do is we actually connect our key results to our JIRA tickets, right? If we said, mm-hmm. we're going to release this product by this date so we can hit this revenue number, we actually are able to connect the JIRA tickets and get progress from those tickets. So the one, not now, you know, I'm going from set phase to execution phase, we now have complete transparency within the company, how the product team is doing on these. If you're behind on something, everybody is able to look at it and say, hey, what's going on here? How can we help, right? It's very motivating for for product managers to see that entire company is rallying behind these. We also have a couple of nice social features called cheers and nudges, right? If If a project or initiative is going very well, people actually cheer. We actually put out the cheer count in our all hands for different OKRs. And if things are behind as a leader, I'm also able to nudge people. 
Uh, a lot of times, I mean, this is a problem, right? You know, for OKR systems, when there are no best practices, people set these OKRs and forget them, right? That shouldn't be the case. So it's, it's the responsibility of the leaders to actually remind people to work on those initiatives. Once you've set your priorities, that you stick to those priorities. And now going towards the end of the quarter, we also have reflections. We sit down and reflect on these are the OKRs we set. Where did we fail? Where will be successful? What should we do next time around? So we have that set, execute, and reflect phases. And for every one of these phases, we provide analytics and insights to different individuals to be successful with it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I, I can talk to this because, you know, this is the software that we offer. And if there is anybody listening uh, on this podcast later on and wants to reach out, to talk to me about OKRs and how my product team uses, I would love to get into more details with them, absolutely. Excellent. And you recommended a good book there, Measure What Matters, as an additional resource as well. Absolutely. Yeah, so OKRs isn't something you just use uh, to help you develop products. It is something that is also in your product as a tool for uh, those using the tool like that. Okay. And I also like innovation quotes. Listeners always know we wrap up this way. What is the innovation quote that you brought for us and what does that mean to you? Yeah, it's a quote by Steve Jobs, you know, where he says, I I won't do verbatim, but it's something like, you know, prioritization means just not saying yes to things that you want to do, but it also means saying no to 10 other things you don't Mm -hmm. want to do. I, this this is a favorite of mine because I've been in product management roles for 20 years now. There are never enough resources for you as a product manager to build everything you want to build, right? right. And once you set your sights on an on a on a goal, you have to build a product. There are always distractions, especially in my world in enterprise software. There are always new customers coming in, right? You know, they're always asking for newer features, newer process, more shiny things. The competitor comes up with something new. It's it's extremely important for product managers to do real good job of thinking about what is the problem I'm solving for whom. What does it look like? Co-innovate with your customers and you have to deliver that value. If you keep shifting all the time and trying to chase the shiny object, you're going to fail, right? So I think it's extremely important to stay focused and really deliver value on what, you, what you've what you set your sights on. And and I'm when I think about Steve Jobs, probably the greatest product innovator, you know, of at least uh, our times, they probably have had, think about when they were building iPhone, how many different ideas they probably have considered, but they stuck to their guns and said, this is what the phone is going to be. These are the three things it's going to do really well. And that's that announcement that Steve thought about when he was thinking of that product. Right? You have to think like that. When I describe this product, what are the three or four things I'm going to be good at? Because you can't be all things to all people, Right. And that's why it's a favorite quote of mine. That's a great quote. Thanks for sharing that. It is innovation is about focusing and doing the things that are most important and not all the other hundreds of things that could be done. So thanks for sharing that. How can people find out more about the work that your company does, the work that you do? Yeah, I mean, I just the best way is to check out my LinkedIn page, Anup Yanamandra. And I I also would love to hear from people. You know, there's no more satisfaction I get from 
helping other people out, you know, whether they're starting out in their careers or or maybe they're mid-career and trying to transition or something, I'm always ready to help out other people. Just email me at nupetbetterworks.com, right? You know, I'd love to hear from your audience. Great. I'll make sure the links are in the show notes for those, for your LinkedIn profile and the email. And if anyone wants to reach out and maybe talk more about OKRs, they can do that as well. Anoop, thank you for your time. Chad, it was a great time. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. I had a great time talking to you. And I look forward to hearing from folks who want to talk more. Thanks again for listening to The Everyday Innovator. In a few weeks, the podcast name will be changed to Product Masters Now. I hope you enjoyed listening to those tips from Anoop and the tools that he uses as a CPO. You'll find all the written details, including a one-page action guide at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 316. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit theeverydayinnovator.com.